Hi friends, my name is Emily. Welcome to Oh, I'm Lonely. It's my podcast about unpacking the big feelings that I have that usually whittle down to loneliness and disconnection from various aspects of my life, from career, communities, loved ones, and sometimes it's just about being plain old alone. Here we talk about all the different places loneliness creeps its sweet BB self into and try to understand what story that loneliness is trying to tell me. So please join me because even though it's lonely here, you aren't alone. Okay, everyone. I am here with my good friend, longtime friend, feel like almost 14 years at this point that we've been friends. Um, My friend, Eliza. Eliza, would you please introduce yourself? Tell us what you do. What gives you life? What gives you passion? And talk to us, baby. Uh, well, hey, everyone. I'm Eliza. Um, I am a television producer, uh, which is most of the time I just sort of tell people I work in the arts because that covers <laughs> a lot of the various things I do. Um, I grew up around the theater and I wanted to always work with artistic people as an adult. So I have ended up working in TV production, doing a lot of unscripted television, like talk shows and competition shows and things like that. Um, and my passion is, is storytelling and being around creative people. Cause I love seeing mm-hmm. how people find creative solutions to problems, whether that problem is like something is not working at work and we need to fix it. Or that problem is just like, how do we tell this story? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of see that as a puzzle in and of itself. And I like puzzles. Oh, we love a puzzle. So I've invited Eliza on because I sent out um, I sent out a call, a call to action on my Instagram to my close friends because I was like, I only feel safe doing this to close friends right now um, about our podcast here, the Oh, I'm Lonely podcast. Um, and I was basically just like, hey, friends, uh, I know that we all experience loneliness in so many different ways. You know, Eliza was one of the first people that reached out and was just like, I would love to talk about... Um, she had a couple of things that you wanted to talk about. And so I think today let's start with working in freelance and gig life. Um, because yeah, when you said that, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of loneliness <laughs> there in so many aspects. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, gig work, freelance, and just like, I mean, hoofing it in the arts is in every stage of the arts, whether you are behind the table, in front of the table, filming the table, all aspects. So Eliza, like when you, when you think of loneliness in terms of our industry, what, what kind of comes to mind to you? Well, there's a couple things that when I think about it in terms of loneliness sort of resonate with me. Um, and one of them is that the arts is sort of, it's a contradictory field to work in because it is both incredibly collaborative and incredibly mm. personal. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think that it can be a little, you can kind of jump between emotions and and states of mind very quickly and very suddenly when doing artistic ventures, because there are times where it's so personal and so about your own interests or emotions or reactions to things or Mm. desire to express yourself. And then very quickly it can become about a collaborative process and working with a group and helping someone else to realize their vision Um, And both of those things, I think, can be really fulfilling, but both of them can be complicated as well. So that can lead to its own sort of internal sense of loneliness as you're trying to figure out how to balance those different states of being. Um, And then I also think that there's a loneliness when it comes to interacting with people who don't understand 
working in the arts and working freelance. I have a lot of friends who have like what we would call normal jobs, you know, who are lawyers or journalists or just like work in an office crunching numbers or, you know, whatever. And my friends are great and I love them and they're really supportive of me, which I appreciate, but there are definitely times where I'm talking to them and I'm like, they have no idea what I mean when I'm talking about work. So then you find yourself like either just not bringing it up, being like, you know what, let's just talk about something else because you're not going to understand like what I'm getting at, or you have to kind of dumb it down in a way so that they understand, which I'm sure they do too when they talk to me about work, but it's just right. like, because it's something that can be so personal and emotional, I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard when you're trying to have those conversations and express like your excitements or your disappointments about work and they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they don't really like get it. I feel that so hard. We were literally right before we started recording, I was even saying how like, unless they, they're a partner or they at one point were in the arts, it's like, it's even hard to talk to a therapist about it all the way. Mm-hmm. Cause you're just like, no, literally <laughs> this is the end. Cause Gabe and I were talking about worth in mm. and, and connecting, um, worth and your, um, your work and how in the arts they're so interconnected yeah. and it's not because we tr- want them to be interconnected. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the nature of the beast in so many ways. I think it's safe to say that I think our industry has far more rejection than other. And it's like visceral rejection. It's not just like, oh, I didn't get promoted. So I stay at this level. It's like, I literally laid, I said this, this is the analogy and it's a little graphic, but I was like, I laid my intestines on the ground (laughs) and they told me those are not good enough intestines. We don't want those. And it's just like, but everybody has the same. I thought everybody (laughs) had the same ones. Mm -hmm. These are ones I have. I don't have any others. And they're like, that's not it. And so it's just like, then you have to pick it all up and walk out the door and pretend everything's okay. And it's like, it's almost this feeling of like, you need to make yourself small to, mm-hmm. um, to get people at least to hear like some semblance of what, what it feels like to be rejected in the arts or the hoofing that we have to do, or just like the constantly being like, well, what, wh- where's the next job going to be? I can't even stay present in this job because I have to think about what's next. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're always looking for the next job and, and, and you're always bouncing back and forth with what you want from the next job because there are days where you're like, I just need a job. I just need money to pay mm-hmm. the bills. And you know, I just need, mm-hmm. or even just, I need something to keep me occupied, get me out of the house, whatever it is. Um, and like anything will do. And then there are days where you're like, no, I don't want to like put my heart and soul on the line for something I'm not passionate about. I'm going to look for the perfect project. And I've literally had weeks where I bounce between those two things like daily. Oh, right. Yeah. Where I have one day where I'm like, fuck this. I'm just applying to marketing jobs. I'm getting out of this. I need to go like work in an office. And then the next day I'll be like, no, I need to hold out for the thing that is so important to me and like really makes me want to go to work every day. And so then it's hard to just get anything done. But then right. that feels lonely because you're spending all of your time in your head trying to mm-hmm. work through that process. Mm-hmm. I feel like artists in every capacity are constantly having a conversation with ourselves that nobody else hears Mm -hmm. and like some of those conversations are loud, loud fights and it's like you're just walking through the city (laughs) surrounded by a 100,000 people and you're just like there's an entire world war happening in my brain and nobody knows and like (laughs) – and you're just like I am sad. (laughs) Right? And there's days where like it – you know, you, you were talking about the rejection of it and there are days that that just really feels very defeating. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, you're, like you said, you're putting your own guts on the line and you're also 
you're trying to constantly figure out why you were rejected. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so there's one of the things that I think people don't talk about enough in this industry is that like, every, talk about it, talk about it. Everyone goes about it a different way, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. finds their thing, rises through the ranks, whatever it is in their own path, but everyone talks as if their path is the way you have to do it. Eliza, I was literally, literally <laughs> talking to myself about this yesterday. So I <laughs> like, like, since I started, go, 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 like go, when go. I started as like a production assistant right out of college, like 22, 23 years old, you know, you would talk to the people above you and be like, how did you get where you are? What do you, you know, right. how did you do this? And you talk to someone who was like, well, I went to school for this. And then I, even after I worked, I kept staying in, you know, I took extra classes and blah, blah, blah. So I could take this internship and I could learn this skill and this skill and this skill. And this is what you got to do. And you're like, okay, great. Like now I know what I have to do. I figured this, this out. This is my like, roadmap. Right. Here's my roadmap. Exactly. And then the next day you talk to someone else and they're like, yo, all you have to do is you just have to work and show people you're super competent. So just like show up every day. It doesn't matter if you don't have any skills, just be like super excited. And this is how you have to do it and blah, blah, blah. And so then you're like, I just came up with a whole plan for myself mm-hmm. doing this first thing. And it's whatever, it seemed like it was going to be a good fit for me. And it was something I could do. And if someone else is telling me that's not the way to go about it. Yeah. And I have to go about it this different way. And like, am I incompetent? Because I'm not doing it the way they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Or am I like dumb for thinking that the path I started on was the right path? Or am I like, are yeah. they judging me because, you know, whatever, they went to a bunch of school for it and I didn't, or because they started as an executive assistant and learned those skills and I didn't start as an executive assistant. So like, right. maybe I can't. And the reality is it doesn't freaking matter. There's a good matter. half of it that's luck. And the other half of it is like finding the right skills and, and opportunities and making it work for you and putting your heart and soul into it. But you're constantly judging yourself against everyone else, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so I feel like I've spent so much of my career hitting a point where I'm feeling like I'm doing something that I like and I'm good at and I'm confident. And then I look over to my left and see someone else doing something just slightly different. And Mm -hmm. I suddenly start to doubt everything. Oh, yeah. The same the same goes in the performing like in the theater world where it's like. The old hat would say you have to, when you graduate with your BFA, um, you know, if you have the privilege to go to a BFA program or any college Mm -hmm. for that matter, Mm -hmm. um, and then you do summer stock and you do all of those and you do all the jobs that treat you like garbage and um, because it's non-union and they can because they're not ranked enough and, and they don't have to pay you enough to live and and then, you know, you start going to more and more auditions and somehow you pay for voice lessons, you pay for dance lessons, you pay for acting lessons, you pay, somehow pay rent. Um, and then like, you know, and you, maybe you have a, maybe you have a life, probably not, but everything is the craft. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> and then you get up at the crack of dawn, sign your name on the unofficial list, wait, 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 go to the audition, all to do it all over again the next day. With a thousand things in between. And, you know, only if you book these houses, only if you book these regional theaters, only if you book, Mm -hmm. like, that's the only way. Or or you go to, like, a Carnegie Mellon or something like that, and you graduate, and you're on Broadway, and you play Glinda. Like, you're just like, fuck. Like, you're like, there is no in between. We're like, no, there's so much in between. Mm -hmm. And we just don't talk about it enough. We're starting to. It's just not happening loudly enough yet, where it's like at least TikTok and Instagram and, and like social media showing us that like, Oh, there, this isn't linear. It's, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lots of ups and downs and there's, there's a lot of different like winding paths. And like, if you're able to adopt the th- mentality of like, what is meant for you is not going to pass you by. It's easier 
to start accepting what your journey is. And it's really fucking hard. I'm don't accept it yet, but some days I accept it. And some days I'm like, oh, I'm feeling so woo woo today. And other days I'm like, I am a rock on the ground and I will never move. No one wants to be near me. Um, yeah. Like literally just the other day I was saying to Gabe, I was, I was saying like, I was like, oh, like, I just feel like, why am I, why would I be worthy of like booking something a union thing where I'm like, I haven't earned any EMC points. I mm-hmm. haven't done this. I haven't done that. And like in the same conversation, I stopped myself, but I, and I went, but I did this and I did this and I paid my dues. Cause I've done a couple of non-union tours where I fucking busted my ass. Mm-hmm. And like, I did this and like, I've gone through life and I'm a good person. And then I was like, I do deserve this job. Like, I was just like, I deserve that. I think the only thing that I think a, a lot of people say that I think can go, can work for everyone is you just have to show up in mm-hmm. any capacity that you can show up. And some days showing up is saying, I can't show up today. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like advocating for yourself. Yeah, I think that's probably the the common denominator. It's like, I'm here. <laughs> I might not be mentally here, but at least I'm physically right. here. No, you have so. to put in so much work. And some of that work is work on yourself, right? And that can be saying mm-hmm. like, this isn't worth my energy or I need to step away for a minute or, you know, I need to do this in my own way. But like, it's this constant work that is emotional labor as well as physical labor. Um, And I think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking this is like freelance in the arts has got to be one of the only worlds where you can be working nonstop at it for years and not consider yourself a professional. Oh yeah. Right. Like I feel like all of us have that point where we were like, oh, I can now say I'm a professional actor. I'm a professional producer. I'm a professional Mm -hmm. writer, you know, right. Like I have a friend who writes and she is back in grad school for various things and she's had marketing jobs and she's had whatever, but she's written a mini novel and published it like online and, you know, whatever, but like actually published it. She's a published author and she doesn't always call herself a professional writer because she's like, well, I'm not like working full time as a writer. And I'm like, you literally have a published book and yet you still don't think of yourself as a professional yeah. writer, right? And I know people who have like been acting in, you know, in paid gigs, but in small venues or in weird ways for a long time. And they're like, well, I'm not really a professional actor. And I'm like, you literally like you work at this every day and make money from it. You yeah. are a professional actor, but I just don't like, that's not the way we talk about the industry. You know, you leave yeah. college or, or well, whatever well, it is, high school and you're like, right. And you're like, this is what I want to be. And then it's you don't know how to like, talk to people about it. Yeah. Whereas because, anything else. Oh, yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'm just going to say, whereas anything else, like you start doing it and that's what you tell people you are. Mm-hmm. I think it's because people – there's. I mean, it goes to show it's like uh, the arts are always the first thing cut from a program. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not – and maybe it's just a U.S. thing because I feel like in other countries it's not – because it's not – you know, there's, there's commercial gain. There's a lot of commercial gain. But in terms of individual – gain there's not that much capital mm-hmm. and so like capitalism says you're not enough which right. is a very loud and insidious voice that gets in there real quick in your life but like you but but I mean who's who are the people that make the most money it's the producers and they're the ones they're the business people right, right. so like capitalism loves them but like um, I mean, we love a good producer too. Bad producers, we hate. But yeah, we but it's those, it's those high up like network exec people who don't yeah. actually, they're not involved in any of the creative 
stuff. I mean, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but as we're recording this in the last few weeks, there's been all this news about HBO Max being bought mm-hmm. out by Discovery Plus and Discovery Plus is trying to basically get rid of HBO Max. And like there's all of these sort of corporate explanations for it and tax reasons for it. And there's all these arguments about we want to see Batgirl and we want to see this movie. But the reality is there are tens of thousands, if not more, creators whose work is going to be unseen Mm-hmm. unfinished, unpublished, un, mm-hmm. you know, paid for because of this thing that a bunch of corporate executives have decided to do. And yeah. so there are writers and actors and musicians and, you know, lower level producers and editors and all these people who are currently working on stuff that is never going to be seen, is going to get canceled, that they're not going to get paid the full amount for. And, you know, and so there's some people who are having this conversation that's about millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars but there's also a whole conversation happening on the lower level about just how many people are losing work and losing Mm. the opportunity to work on the stuff that they love whether that's like a really sort of high-end intellectual you know documentary or it's Batgirl or a silly reality tv show like there's someone who cares about that and has put their heart and soul into it yeah and has worked really hard to get there no matter what their path was and for that to just be ripped out from underneath you and then to go back into the quote unquote real world, which I think it's even sometimes problematic to say that because it says that we're not in the real world, right. but like, but see, and I we do, it, do too. it too, right? We do like, it too. It's, it's just like in its own our version language. of internalized, I don't know what, what would be like the hating on the arts version of misogyny, right? Like, I, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's probably, yeah, it's just the patriarchy. Um, but it, it's just, it tears you apart. And how how are we supposed to talk about that fully as big as those feelings are with people that, unless they're extremely empathetic and can just like, and just hold space for you, but it's so hard to like talk about that without just getting pitied. Yeah. Because pity makes me feel so lonely. I don't know about you, but like pity makes me feel like oh, teeny, teeny, tiny. There is such a difference between pity and sympathy and empathy, mm-hmm. you know, right? And Speak like, on it. and you know, and empathy, you have to be able to understand, like have actually have some element of experience in what a person is feeling in order to feel right. Like even yeah. the, the kindest, most loving people in the world, if you truly have no experience with something, you're not going to have like true empathy for it because you don't understand that perception. Right. But right. there's, there's sort of a step between sympathy and empathy where you can use your, your understanding of the world and your own intellect to figure out how someone probably feels about something and to really try to connect with it. But then there's the other side of sympathy, which is the pity. And it's just people being like, Oh my God, that sucks. I'm so sorry. And you're like, I didn't need you to say, I'm so sorry. You could have stopped it. That sucks. Cause like it does, right? Yeah. Like if whatever, if you're working on a project and it doesn't get picked up it doesn't you know move to off-broadway or it doesn't get picked up after its pilot or whatever it is like that sucks but you don't need someone to be like oh my god let's weep with you because that's not like i'm not most days like breaking down and crying in a corner some days you know but like (laughs) most of the time you're just you're frustrated and yeah i think to understand that frustration you need to understand that intersection between the professional frustration and the personal frustration Ooh, yeah because like it's always a little bit of both Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I'll talk to friends who are outside of the industry or related industries and they like, they get one part of it, but not the other. 
right? Like, Mm. they'll be like, oh my God, you lost a job. Like, that sucks. I'm so sorry that you're going to have trouble paying rent this month or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's true. But I also like, I'm really sad that I lost the job because it was the specific job. Or they're like, oh my God, I know how much you cared about that. Like, let's talk about how sad it is. But they forget that you're also panicking because you've got to figure out how to pay rent. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's so complicated that I understand why not everyone immediately gets all those complexities. Mm-hmm. But, like, I find when I'm hanging out with, like, a big group of friends and everyone's talking about their job and complaining and whatever, if I'm, like, in between major gigs – and I get a lot of, like, very short-term gigs, right, where I'm working yeah. on, like, shooting for a week of something and then I'm no longer working for that company. And I just don't talk about those to my friends very often because by the time it takes me to explain, like, what it is and what I'm doing and why it matters or doesn't matter – I've lost their attention and like it stopped mattering because the thing's over already. Yeah. You know? And so I do a lot of like, Oh yeah, works fine. You know? And then do you just kind of move on? Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) That. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I feel that so hard. Like that's how I feel about auditions. I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I just don't tell, tell, unless I need help with it. I just don't tell people about most of them because it's like, most likely I won't get the job and that's okay. Cause it's not about the job. It's about, practicing and it's about putting my face out there and it's about like prepare like also like garnishing like harder skin so that mm-hmm. like the the nose don't hurt as bad and um and I it also makes me think about like about our community mm-hmm. and I, I I hope not to offend people by saying this but like we're, we you know we say we're like free and all this like existential thought and that's true but at the same time it's extremely um niche and it's extremely like gated we kind of in a way we kind of do it to ourselves in that like we've created or we've at least been brought into a a culture of talking about our art that like it's hard whether we've kind of grown up in it or not we've we've been taught that like oh we can't talk about this with people who aren't artists because Mm -hmm. they won't get it so that doesn't open them to be able to understand it but it's like that is a lot of like internal labor and free labor to like have to explain these hard things that we've lived through. And it's like, fuck, I don't want to talk about why I didn't get that part because it hurts too much. Mm -hmm. Like, but then it's like, but then how do we let these people in? So we don't feel so lonely in these spaces, Mm -hmm. but maybe, oh my God, my neighbor just sneezed so loud and I heard it (laughs) through the floor. That scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was very loud. Probably didn't hear it, but it was loud enough for me to jolt. But also, like, community is really important. So, mm-hmm. but it feels like if you're not, oh, the art, this is something that drives me nuts. Especially in musical theater, it's like, it feels so good. And maybe you feel this on, like, projects too, especially if you have, like, a close-knit group that's, like, works really, really well together on mm-hmm. a show. And if it gets cut too shoot soon or, like, cancels for whatever reason or it doesn't go past the pilot where you're like, wow, we've got magic happening here. This is, like, this is juicy. This is good. I love these people. And then when it's done, you're, like, it feels like a death. Like, yeah. you're just, like, yeah. oh, now I'm, I'm literally all alone again because all of these people, unless – something magic happens and the universe goes JK. Like this group is never going to work. All of us, this moment in time is never going to come back. 
And I don't think that happens in other industries. It right. just doesn't. Like, I think, you know, you, you can like your coworkers or not like your coworkers or who have mm-hmm. some you like and, and some you don't. But when you're like working a much more consistent job over a very long time, you get less of that like extreme turnover kind of thing that is so a part of our daily lives as freelancers, as art workers. Um, like I always, when I think about jobs and the different jobs I've had, I worked on a show four and a half years ago now, I want to say, that was one of those just magical teams. It was, we melded really well together. The team was really diverse. So everyone was coming with different like perspectives, but we all really enjoyed talking to each other and hearing our perspectives. And and we were good at brainstorming together and creating together. And it was a project that everyone was really excited to be on. And we like sort of had this magic moment where we got the funding for it and we were able to produce it. And it was so great. And it only lasted for one season. And the network decided not to pick it up for a second season. And so we all had to go off our own ways. And I worked for that project for like eight months, which is a really long project for me. Most of the time I'm looking at three to max six months on a project, sometimes even shorter than that. And it was close to five years ago now. And it's still my favorite thing that I've ever worked on. And Mm -hmm. I can't help but compare every job I've ever had since then to it, which Mm -hmm. like in itself is not fair because I've had plenty of jobs that were really fun and really good and really wonderful, but they weren't like that level of magic. And so they don't feel as, you know, whatever. But I don't talk to a lot of people anymore about like just how much working on that show meant to me because Mm -hmm. it is kind of weird to then be like, and every job I've had for five years has just been sad in comparison. (laughs) Because like that sounds yeah. so like so depressing and pathetic. And it's not like most of the time I like my jobs. I like my work like it's fine. But there are those moments that are magical and they stay with you forever. And I think, you know, people who don't work in the industry, you can see this a little bit when you listen to like, you know, interviews with celebrities with, you know, famous actors and stuff. And they're talking about something they did 20 years ago. And they're doing the whole like, well, the you know, the cast was so tight and it was so amazing. And sometimes it's promotional spin. But yeah. I, that's hard to truly fake. So you can tell when someone means it when they're talking about it and it does stick with you for a really long time. But like, it is so emotional that it's hard to talk about that and how it affects the rest of your work. And it can affect the rest of your work in really positive ways too, right? Because the things that you learn and you garner from those experiences you bring to the next thing. Um, And so they're so important. But like, then there are moments where you're just like, oh, this isn't as good as that other project. Like, am I ever going to find that magic again? And that's really hard to think about. Like that's, it's not a happy thought. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to like, it's, it's hard to stay present too in those moments because it's, you, I've found myself doing that where I'll reminisce about if I'm in a cast that it's not clicking and you're like, wow, I was doing this exact same material with a group that everything clicked and it was Mm -hmm. just amazing. And it's like, how much of that time was I wasting on like, yes, I mean, memories are beautiful and we should hold on to them. But like when we find ourselves just looking backwards and not sink, I'm learning this this year is like a, a lot of my time that I'm trying to like do is like learn how to be present. And it's yeah. like when we take that, when we only reminisce, when we only look backwards it's so hard to see what's right in front of you when there could be opportunities of, of having a magical moment. And here's the thing Mm -hmm. you're when magic happens, magic happens. Unicorns are real. And I think we find those unicorns, those magical moments because we're present. We're present in those Mm -hmm. moments where we're like this all feel like, and there's shit going down and there's 
fights happening and nobody's talking about them because they're like, no, but this kinetic energy right now, this is it. Like Mm -hmm. everything else doesn't matter. You can't recreate those, but you honor them when they're there, but it's hard to not, it's really hard not to put them on everything Mm -hmm. until the next magical moment. Like, I mean, how do you not? We are magic makers, right? Like we Mm -hmm. make, we make shows that make people feel, we write shows that make people cry and laugh and we perform these characters. And then how do you, how do you not connect your worth to that? Like, how do you not? Absolutely. When everything you're doing can have an emotional effect on someone else, like Mm -hmm. then of course it's going to be emotional to you. And like, I've worked on plenty of projects that we're not great art, right? Like I've worked on like shitty MTV shows and like things for digital that were just like, no one's ever going to watch this after the first 10 people and you know, whatever. But like- Make that point. (laughs) Right. I mean, one, they're paying me and two, like someone's going to watch it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so you still, even when it's low budget or kind of silly or whatever, like you want to make it as good as it can be given whatever it is because someone's going to take something away from that. And so you throw your whole heart into it and like, and doing so, you bond with the people you're working with too, right? Whether that's right. the other actors, the the editors, whoever it is that you're working with on something to create this thing that's going to have an emotional effect on someone else, you bond over it because you're trying to put your heart and soul into it. And like, yeah. I've had jobs that sucked, right? Where like the bosses were terrible. We were underpaid, overworked, long hours. I mean, like 16 hour days consecutively, like terrible jobs. And then a year later, I'm like, oh, you know what was great about that job? And I'll reminisce. And my roommate's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like all you did was complain about that job when you had it. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. like that job sucked. But the people I worked with, like we're still great because we were still all trying to make something really like worthwhile. And I got to know Mm. really talented or interesting people. I got to work with, you know, a writer who was like so interesting, even though this was just like another job to them, getting to meet them and talk to them and now follow their own work that they're doing, you know, following that is so great. And I got to meet this person because I worked on this shitty project. And so then even the shitty projects like have a place in my heart that is emotional and personal and, you know, and it just like, you can't separate yourself from it. It can't just no. be another job. No. Yeah. Unless unless the job is so shit that you're like, <laughs> I can separate it. Well, yes. There's certainly a few of those. Yeah. Like there's also I'm ones that are like, whatever, they paid me money and I got out of there and thank God. And like, yeah. and that's good too. And also I think there is something freeing about being able to do that in this industry. Mm. You know, I think when you have um, more traditional jobs that are tend to be longer term and steadier, it is hard to leave them when it's really not worth staying because you think like, well, this comes with benefits. Well, this comes with stability. Well, you know, anywhere else I'd apply to would want to see that I've been here for X many years or, you know, that kind of stuff. And when we are in a career where we all have jobs that last three days and, you know, where we have, you know, tax documents at the end of the year that represent that we had 15 different employers and all this kind of shit. Don't even, I'm still, I'm still working on getting my fucking <laughs> refund from 20 what was the last 2021 i'm like i would never get an email i'm like oh for fuck's sake like just it's, give me my fucking money <laughs> it's so complicated but like i know i know nothing about it i'm just like oh i'm just every an artist year. let me sing and, and i like i like keep track every year i'm like oh this year i only had eight things on my you know taxes oh this year was only four. Oh, this year was 17 you know it's whatever but like you you do hit a point where if something's just not working, you can be like, fuck it. I'm going to leave. Yeah. 
you know, I did that this spring. I was had been working at a job that it, it was a, a arch job, but it was full time. It was like an actual staff position. And so it had benefits, which was wild. And I was there for like six oh, months. And it was like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't as great as it was cracked up to be. <laughs> Um, but the job sucked. My boss was terrible and our team was really small and super overworked. And like most of my coworkers, they were lovely people, but they weren't really qualified enough to get done what they were asking us to get done. And so everyone was stressed Mm -hmm. all the time and struggling. And I just was like, you know what? I know I have enough experience and enough contacts out there that I can find other work. And so I left, I quit and I have been unemployed for two months now and I just got another job that I'm about to start so like I knew that I would and I was correct I've done this enough that I knew how to financially plan for that but that's really hard to do and one of the other coworkers I had at this job who's much younger she's in her like mid-20s and doesn't have any money saved up and whatever she's like man how can you just quit like I need this job and I was like I know you do I'm not telling you to quit because you like financially need to stay here for a while longer whereas I am lucky enough to be at a point in my life where I can leave But I also did talk to her. I was like, look, you also are interested in freelancing and working in TV and learning these things. And I need you to know that your value is so much higher than the value of this job. Like when it hits a point where you need to leave, regardless of what the financial implications are, like you need to make that decision because you're talented and you're resourceful and you will find other work. And it is more valuable to prioritize your mental health and your happiness and, and comfort than to stay here for a shitty paycheck at the end of every week. And that's like a really hard lesson to learn because that's not how we talk about things in our culture, in this society, in this country. Like that is not the message we were taught. And I think that I think our generation, people can say whatever they want about millennials and Gen Z and stuff. But like, I truly think that we are the ones that are like stepping, stepping up to say enough. I've lived in unprecedented times since Columbine um, and probably before. So like enough, (laughs) like literally it's like, this just been thing after thing after thing. And you're telling me you world, you capitalism are telling me that I have to do things this way. But like, when is life allowed to be lived a little bit and enjoyed? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I, I, you know, jealousy, no, but like, I think it's, it's a good, purpose for us as I I wouldn't even call us elders at this point, but like, (laughs) at least like, absolutely not. But like, you know, for role models in a way to be like, you're allowed to say no, no is a full sentence. You're allowed to, you're allowed to say what your worth is. I was going to ask you, I was like, well, how, how do you feel about loneliness in terms of like freelance in terms of, um, like pay, like asking mm-hmm. for what you're worth because so much I like I hard, right? Like I I do a lot of um I say a lot. I say this, I say this to to muggles. I'm like, oh I do a lot of like video editing. But like I do. I do it for myself a lot. And so I know what I'm worth because I know what I pay. I know time wise, I know what I'm paying for it. But like when I'm creating things for people on like upwork or stuff like that, it's like my hourly rate I was advised by other friends that are like, do this, but I know I'm, my, my work is worth that. And right. And you're going to do better work if you're not stressed doing a bunch of work for something that's not paying you enough. 
I know for mm-hmm. me, it's hard because I am often working within an already sort of established budget structure for projects. You know, they'll have allocated X amount mm. per week for a segment producer, X amount per week for a production assistant, you know, whatever it is. And there is always wiggle room. Like they'll tell you there's not. And then like there is in the budget. But a lot of the people who are writing my checks, they're not making the final budget, right? Like it's someone above yeah. them. So there's just only so much. And I'm at this point where, like, I know what my work is worth, right? I know what the the yeah. higher end of the, the area that I am in pays and the kind of work you need to do to be worth that. And I can do that kind of work. But that's not the average pay, right? The average pay is a little below that. And then mm. the common pay is even lower than that, right? Like, a lot of places will offer you this very low end of the spectrum because that's what they've been told to allocate for it, even though the average is, like, a little higher than that. And I yeah. know I'm worth more than the average. So then if they come in and they offer me below the average and I ask for more and they can manage to offer me the average, then do I at this point settle from what I would like to be making for what they can make, what they can give me. But I know it's more than what they initially offered because they do know that I'm of value, you know, and so you're constantly doing Mm -hmm. these like these, you know, number crunches in your head and going like, okay, this isn't as much as I would like to be making, but it's enough that it can be worth it. And so do I, should I take this job, even though it's not what I was hoping they would offer me, but it's like a reasonable offer. And you're doing all of that. And all of that, in addition to being an actual, like on paper number crunch is a internal self-value of Mm -hmm. your own self-evaluation of your own value. And like, that's so emotionally straining constantly. Cause then, and then if you agree to something that is less than you would normally make, then there's always at least a part of you that's like, you're an idiot. Why did you do that? Yep. Maybe you're only Mm -hmm. worth this much. Like you shouldn't have, you should have asked for more. You should have like, you know, lean in. What would they say? You know, like all this kind of stuff. And, and sometimes like, it's fine. Sometimes they offered you what they could offer you. It's a good pay. You take it, you have the work. It was a good opportunity. It's good networking, whatever it is. But you're constantly going like, okay, is this worth the, the devaluation of me? for the opportunity mm-hmm. to do this at all rather than the other option, which is to not make this, but also not do the thing. Mm-hmm. And I, there's not a good answer. You know, that answer yeah. can change. There are times where it's worth it and times where it's not. Yeah. And, and you're sort of the only one who can make that final decision for yourself, which again can be really lonely making. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it has to be you making the decision. Yeah. It has to be because Otherwise, then you'll then the next question in your brain will be, did I only make that decision because someone told me to do it? And then you're constantly <laughs> that's something that I, yeah, <laughs> Eliza's like touching like closing her hands onto her face because I'm the same because I, I, I do that like that's that's something that I'm working on of constantly asking people for permission mm-hmm. and um and to be parented and to be told what to do. I think it comes from me being the youngest of five. So like going out <laughs> into the world doing something that isn't a traditional nine to five where you do have to make your own rules. You do have to make your own path and it isn't the same as everybody else. Not every job, not every gig is going to, it's not a move up the ladder type thing. Mm -hmm. It's go to the next gig and hope you get the gig. So it's just a completely different, it's like a 180 to do the internal work of being like, oh, I I have to be okay with whatever decision I make because at least I'm the one that made it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're not happy with those decisions because you're like, that's what I chose in the moment. And when I choose it now, maybe not. But it's just like, oh, like it, it is. It's a constant internal struggle of, of figuring out how to find contentment in your decisions yeah. and, you know, not regretting the things that you, the, the decision you made because regret is just 
it's just fear. It's just anxiety and bullshit and it's not necessary. Well, and but it's it fear of up. something that already happened. Mm, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's that's the thing about regret is that like you can think for a million years, what if I'd done it this way? Or what if this person had offered me this job? Or what if I had, you know, I'm I have ADHD and I sometimes struggle Same. with some executive <laughs> dysfunction issues. And one of those things that happens is that especially if I haven't been working for a little while, which, you know, can only can sometimes be just like a couple weeks, but you get a little depressed and then it's hard to get things done. And that means it's hard to get job applications in. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have trouble doing auditions when you're not feeling your best self. I have trouble writing mm -hmm. fucking cover letters when I don't feel like I'm an impressive person. And so there's so many times that I've been like, man, if I'd applied to more jobs during that you know, period when I was in between gigs, maybe I would have gotten a better gig, but I didn't spend enough time looking for them or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. Yeah. Like maybe oh, that's yeah. true. Maybe it's not. You have no way of knowing. At this point, you're just scared of something you didn't do. And it'd be so much more value, I think, to me emotionally to focus on what I can do moving forward. But it just doesn't always happen. Sometimes you just yeah. get stuck in that spiral. Yeah. Uh, that's it's so true. That's it. And that's how easy the spiral is and how strong the spiral mm -hmm. can be. Once you kind of let that in a little bit, if your resilience isn't up, all the voices in your mind telling you, all those limiting beliefs and all those like mean things mm -hmm. that you would never say to anybody else right. um, when you're just so mean to yourself, Emily, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to shut them up. They're loud. They've got megaphones and yeah. ugh, it's icky. And sometimes mm -hmm. it just takes community. It takes, yes. you hope that you can pull yourself out of it. I remember you said this, I think you, you DM me once about it where I was just like, you know, you got to pull yourself out of stuff. And you're like, yeah, but you also need the community to help you through mm -hmm. it. And I went, she's right. Because yes, there is so much of life that we have to learn from ourselves to be self, to truly be like self-sufficient and love ourselves. But like, we shouldn't just what is life if if we're not loving ourselves, but what if what is life if we can't also extend that love elsewhere? Mm -hmm. That's why community's there. Yeah. That's why that's the point. That's the mm -hmm. point of community is well, to lift you up. Like you say, it is often easier to love others than to love yourself. And like mm -hmm. while you still always have to work on loving yourself, that's true for other people too. So I think sometimes we forget that we have to let our friends, our family love us when we can't love ourselves in the same way that mm. we do it for them, right? Like if it's easier for me to love you and you to love me than for us to love ourselves individually, that's still love for ourselves that is there. Yeah, and, and it can help know, give us the strength to love ourselves. Right. It helps you move back up to a place where you can like appreciate your own worth and value and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I do think, you know, for as much as this can be a really lonely industry and it can be a really competitive industry, which makes it hard sometimes to mm -hmm. connect with people. But the thing that we do have is there are a lot of other people going through it. You know, I know I work as a freelance person in the arts and so does my brother. And we are incredibly lucky in that our parents worked in theater when they were in their twenties. And so they have also worked freelance and like yeah. they didn't work freelance at a time where the gig economy existed because it was the seventies and the eighties. And so they were even more rare in the way that they did things. Um, but it also meant eventually both of my parents were able to move into long-term steadier jobs far earlier than my brother or I have managed to do. But it does mean that I can talk to my parents, at least to a certain point about what yeah. I'm experiencing at work. And like, that has been 
of so much value to me. And I have so many friends who work in the arts who don't have that. And Mm -hmm. it's, that's a struggle that is so hard when, when the people in your life who raised you and support you and love you just don't get it. Yeah. Cause like we said, it's hard to explain, but when you have someone, whether that's your parents, a sibling, a best friend, a coworker who has been through it and has experienced some of those things, even if they're not exactly the same, you can say to them, like, I'm just so frustrated with myself this week because I feel like I didn't try hard enough or like, this was such an amazing experience. I'm going to be eating out on this for months because I feel so fulfilled by it. And they will understand and they will be able to be a shoulder for you and and support you in a way that feels much more productive, I guess, than talking to people who like truly don't understand what it's like. Yeah. And also it is more productive than having the same conversation with yourself that you can't get out of. Right. When you're like, I'm not getting anywhere talking to myself. I'm trying. I'm trying to talk to myself. I'm trying to talk myself down. I'm trying to have empathy and grace for myself, but those megaphones are really loud mm-hmm. and I can't get out of it. You need th- those are the times, especially not just in times of crisis, but like those are times where it's like sometimes only people that are on the outside know how to pull you out, or at least for a second to be like, get back present with me. Cause, because anxiety is only fear of the future. Mm-hmm. What is it? I, I saw it once. I'm like, Yes, but also chemical imbalances. But like <laughs> mindset-wise, like right. anxiety is just fear of the future and depression is a, is a lot of de- – like is connected to the past where it's right. like – and then you're like, mm, but also like trauma and like <laughs> the right. world is but, burning. But, <laughs> like, even, but, but even with the chemical even and the there. trauma, like you just end up spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like getting your like car stuck in the mud and the wheels just spinning and nothing's happening. You need, you need someone to like come along and, you know, whatever, help you lift up the car, help you Mm -hmm. like put something in neutral, right? Like you can't, you get to a point where you're just stuck. (laughs) You're only going to dig yourself deeper, but just having one other person to like apply a little pressure to the left or a little pressure up and you can bounce yourself out of that spiral. Um, And, and I think that because our industry can feel so isolating, we're all very bad about reaching out to other creatives to talk about it when we're having those mm-hmm. things. But in my experience, anytime you do, you get positive reinforcement back, right? Yeah. Like we're all busy. So we've all had the, you know, someone says, Oh yeah, reach out to me. I'd love to have lunch. And then you can't manage to schedule a lunch like that happens. But nine times out of 10, they want to have lunch with you. They want to sit down and talk to you about what's going on in your career, in your life and, you know, any advice they can give you or advice you can give them. And when you reach out, chances are someone will be like, oh, what a great opportunity to get to connect with someone else who works in my industry and understands what it's like to be a creative. Let's talk. Let's help each other. You know, my field is so dependent on networking. You just Mm -hmm. it's so hard to just get a job from just cold applying. You need to know someone who knows someone who knows someone. But because of that, everyone I work with, like we try really hard to help each other get jobs. Really, like yeah. I'll just like send out a mass email to people being like, I'm just finishing up a project. I'm looking for something else. And I'll always get at least a few replies back being like, oh, that sounds like it was a really cool thing. I'm so happy for you. What are you looking for? I know someone who might be hiring. Let me put you in touch. I don't know if anything will happen. Like we want to help each other. Yeah. We want to keep it in the family. Right. And so, but like, I think all of us step back and are like, oh no, I don't want to bother them. And it's like, no, freaking bother them because yeah. they're only going to do what they want to do by bothering people too. Like you, it has to yeah. be reciprocal. Yeah. And it's also this feeling of like, oh, I have to ask for help. That means I'm not doing it. Yes. That means I'm, I, you know, you make yourself small. You, we think, or we're taught to think that like, or I don't even know if we're taught this. It's just this ingrained thing in the arts of like, 
the idea of the starving artist and it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's shameful to ask for help because we yeah. don't want people to know how we're doing where it's just like, well, how are we supposed to get better if and we can't figure – if we're not able to figure it out ourselves, like how are we supposed to get better if mm-hmm. we don't ask – especially our trusted circle um, to help? And I feel – and and that's totally not just an arts thing either. Yeah. Like that's that's new moms, that's people struggling with any type of depression, that's people in the LGBT community, that's everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that's people going through a breakup, through a death. Like it's just like asking for help, admitting our loneliness mm-hmm. is feels shameful because we don't want that, we don't yeah. always want that pity. We don't want that like Oh, it's just like, no, just lift me up. Just lift mm-hmm. me up so that I have strength to do it for myself so that when someone else is down, I can lift them right. properly. Like not just like give them the the only sh- shit that I have in my tank that should be for me. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Well, and it's, I think it's hard too because sometimes you do have to be more direct with it, right? Like, mm. and, and again, this is true across the board. It's not just like working in the arts. It's, you know, dealing with depression or grief or internal struggles, whatever, you can just tell people like, oh, I haven't been great lately. And some people are magical unicorns who will reach out and be like, hi, I've been picking up signals that you're not doing great. How can I help you? But most people will be like, oh, that sucks. And like move on because they don't realize Mm -hmm. what it is you're asking for, which means that you do have to sometimes be more specific, right? You need to reach out to one person and be like, I'm working on this. I'm struggling with it. I'm feeling really I'm not feeling confident in myself right now and I need someone to look at my writing or I need someone to have lunch with me and reassure me I'm not crazy or, you yeah. know, whatever it is. Right. And, and that's really hard to do. And and it goes both ways. We've all had that friend who like, when they finally do reach out, you're like, Oh my God, I'd love to help you with that. Like, why didn't you mm-hmm. tell me beforehand? But it's hard to do, you know, yeah. that's such a vulnerable position to put yourself in. Mm-hmm. Because you're opening else. yourself up to say no. Yeah. And so to take that risk, is such such a big win to finally say I need help. Mm-hmm. That's like if there's any achievement to have, that's the biggest achievement because sometimes that's the hardest hurdle to get over. Yeah, but like when you do, oh, it's it's yeah. so productive. It's so helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you feel accomplished just having voiced whatever it is you're feeling. A lot of Absolutely. times, you know. Oh, I feel like this has been so like this has been so good for my heart. Right, like it's been really you. cathartic. <laughs> Again, I it's know. good to know someone else feels this way. And you know what? I think there's a lot of listeners out there that are feeling the exact same way. So yeah. I think I think our conversation together is gonna help other people feel seen, even if we can't physically. I see hope them. so. I just like I, if Yeah. If you're someone who in whatever it is that your career is, but are feeling frustrated with yourself or down on yourself or worried about where to go next, talk to people. You know, yeah. you don't have to walk right into your co- next coworker's office and be like, I am depressed, fix me. But just, <laughs> you know, start bringing it up in conversation. Say, I've been working on this and I'm frustrated it's not going faster. I don't know how to get to the next step. I wonder if people are valuing my work. You know, put it out there and people will hear you and people will respond Um, especially, I I find this especially with women, but also especially with anyone who works in the arts, like we want to look out for each other. We want to help each other. Um, Mm -hmm. but you have to put a little bit of effort into the reach out. And I think that you're going to get so much value back when you do that, that you'll realize how worth it was that, that vulnerable, scary moment. 
That's awesome. That's such a that's such a beautiful message. So Eliza, the one question that I have for you, and it's the question I ask all of my guests, and I even ask myself when it's just me and my my lonesome. <laughs> um, so with this part of your life that you experience loneliness, what what do you what do you think the story like? What's the story that loneliness is trying to tell you? Like, what messages is it trying to send you? Or what yeah. do you get out of it? I think, I think there are values in being on your own sometimes. I'm one of those people who I'm extroverted and it means that I can over extrovert myself, you know, overexert myself around people and forget that I need time on my own. And if I don't give myself that time, it's like it builds up in the bank and then eventually explodes. And then I need mm. to like be completely alone in the house and not talk to anyone and veg out for days because I've. I've ignored that feeling so much. So I think sometimes giving into the loneliness can be good, gives you a chance to recharge, to internally process and reassess and, you know, have your quiet moments. But in the end, I still think that what the loneliness is telling me is that I need to be kind to myself and connect with others because Mm. the longer that you don't do that, the more it can build as well. And it's hard to find that balance. And I don't know that, you know, in the first 31 years of my life, I've found the balance, but I certainly, it's something I've worked on over the years and I'm still working on. And I hope for my own sake, I'm getting better at it. And I think in the end, you just have to like, listen to yourself and your needs. Is this a moment where I need to go to my room and close the door and be alone? Or is this a moment where I need to put myself around other people and experience everyone else's whatever they're going through? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a beautiful, I think that is the perfect way to end this episode. Thank you so much for being my first guest. Ah! Um, So Eliza, where can people find you if you'd like people to find you or what is something you'd love to bring people's attention towards? Uh, that that's a great question um so I have a podcast which is on hiatus right now but we've got a million episodes that you can go back and listen to uh that is called rom-com killjoys it's a great podcast Emily has been on an episode it um we got another one by the way yeah I mean when we reboot hopefully in the fall I'm definitely reaching out to you because we want to we love having people on um but yeah it's a podcast where we watch romantic comedy movies and then trash talk them basically um we we analyze them like through a modern feminist lens but it's really just an excuse to watch a bunch of um cringy movies so you can find rom-com killjoys um on instagram and facebook um and you just search rom-com killjoys will pop right up um other than that my personal instagram which you're welcome to follow is eliza kaylee that's k-a-y-l-e-e um, and I mostly just post pictures of my friends and food, but sometimes I post stuff from work. You can see some of the behind the scenes from like, you know, cool TV shows I worked on and stuff. So yeah, you can find me there. Well, thank you so much, Eliza. I love you dearly. And you know thank that you. I'm always in your corner and I'm always here. So I loved um, being for- on the podcast with you. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this installment of Oh, I'm Lonely. I hope you feel a little bit more connected than you did before you turn on the podcast today. I know I do. Today's episode was hosted and edited by yours truly. 
Check me out on social media at Emily Martinez Official on Insta and Emily Martinez Entertainer on YouTube. But most importantly, please, please, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every platform that you listen to podcasts. It would help us out greatly if you could download, rate, and leave a gorgeous little comment on our page because I would love to help more lovely, lonely humans like yourself, like myself, feel a little less, well, alone out there. Until next time, my friends.